Thank you. There we go. It's just, I didn't want to flex on you guys and show off, but, you know, I can lift 30 pounds, so. Uh, good morning. Yeah, my name is DJ, and I lead Imago Day in Downey. We're just right off the 105 and 605. We do meet outside. We have a tent. We bought turf off Craigslist. It ended up being, we didn't know this at the time, it's the turf from the Super Bowl. So from SoFi Stadium, and we meet on that, so that's kind of cool. That's like our claim to fame. Um, I send my greetings from my, my wife and my kids. Uh, wish they could be with us. My wife is actually leading worship today. I got a picture of my two-year-old daughter helping set up chairs. So we're still doing that thing. And uh, we've been around for six or seven years as a church. Someone said, when are you no longer a church plant? And it's when your two-year-old doesn't have to set up chairs. That's when you're no longer a church plant. But I have five kids, four daughters, and a son. And uh, just really glad to be here with you. I hopped on YouTube this morning just to see the past guests that have been here and see how they intro themselves and see what it's like, the vibe kind of here. It's, I'm a, it's weird to walk in as a stranger somewhere. So I was like, what's it like? And I saw every uh, guest preacher come in and just say, hey, what an honor it is to preach and to be here. And because I'm an idiot, I thought, well, I can't say that, right? Like, I, I have to be unique somehow. I have to, I have to say something different. And uh, I was thinking about it, and I was like, I don't, I don't have anything different to say except this. It is an honor to be with you this morning. And I, I just genuinely mean that. The church of Jesus is precious. It's purchased by God's blood. And then specifically to be here in Cerritos, part of kind of the greater southeast L.A. area, and to be sharing the same geography where hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people, million of people, 1.4 million people live in kind of these connected cities that are, are all around here. In, a, in this generation, in this time, to be gathered together, to know Jesus, to be known by him, like, this is not a small thing. And so I don't take that for granted, to just have a moment to come alongside you, to offer a word on your journey, and, and to be here. This is a, an honor and a blessing. So just thank you for having me. I was talking with Amarta yesterday, and all the different ways that our paths have converged over the last eight years. It's actually incredible. And uh, even this moment now, we're sharing some ministry together. And I was reflecting on God's faithfulness. We had like a five to ten minute convo on the phone yesterday. And when we left, I hung up, I was just filled with joy. Like joy that I couldn't, I was like, wow, why am I, I was like, why am I so happy? Like, I mean, Marty's a cool guy, but like, I was like, this is a little... But wow, I was like, and I was trying to figure out, like, why do I feel so much joy? And it's, it's this, is, and you, you, you get this, in your day-to-day life, right, things are happening all the time, and you never quite know, like, how things fit in, or how, like, something happens on a day or in a moment, and you're like, how does this fit into the, the bigger picture of life? And then you're able to kind of step back every once in a while, God gives you a glimpse of kind of the greater thing that he's doing, and you're, you're kind of blown away. And so for this guy who I met eight years ago, we had a coffee together, we've chatted, and then we know all these same people, and we're catching up on all these people, and just seeing how God has woven these stories together, it, it gave me this like, quick picture of like, how God is moving in an area that I, I wasn't able to see on my own. And I'm still young, uh, but I'm old enough now, I've been around in ministry long enough to see how easy it is for people to come and to go. 
And maybe you've been a part of a church, maybe you've been a part of ministry, maybe you're, you're new to faith and you've felt in your own heart temptations to, to be pulled away at different times, that there's this, people come and they go, and then so I hung up on, on that phone and my heart was filled with joy because there's this kind of like, oh, you're still at it eight years later, and we're still seeing God move, and it's incredible. You're, you're, it's, it's actually difficult to endure, which is why we use the word endure. To, to follow Jesus. My wife and I, we have this phrase that we say to each other regularly. We say, I, I still want to be 80, or I want to be 80. We say this to each other. We like, look each other in the eye. We're like, I want to be 80, and I want to love Jesus. I want to love you, and I want to love his church. And we just say that to each other. That's like, when we go on date night, it's like a, a little weird, we just, but we, we kind of like, <laughs> well, that's, that's like a phrase that we like commonly get back to. I want to love Jesus. I want to love you, and I want to love his church, because it's actually so easy to be pulled away from that for your, your, the affections of your heart, like your love, to like burn out and to get squashed and get taken away. And the older we get, the more we realize that's not easy. And so as we turn to Philippians today, if you have your Bible, we're going to finish out Philippians. Philippians chapter 4, Philippians is in the New Testament. You guys have been reading through these letters from a pastor I share all of this because this is what Paul has in mind. He's in prison. He can't be with this church in person. So there's a distance between them, and he writes this letter. And among the letters that Paul writes, this is actually like a unique letter. Most of the letters that Paul writes, he's like kicking butt and taking names. He's just like, yo, you did this wrong. I got to correct this. You're wrong about this. But in Philippians, it's full of joy and encouragement. He doesn't just write to, to like correct somebody. He, he's writing because the road is difficult, and the journey is long. And so he writes this letter of encouragement and joy. If you have chapter 4 open with me, you can see his affection and his love that he has for this church. It's just dripping off the page, chapter 4, verse 1. He says this, Therefore, my brothers, or my brothers and sisters, listen to this, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, that my reward is seeing you. That's, man, that's affection right there. Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. And in light of his affection that he has for this, these people, the care and, and, and understanding all that's kind of pressing in around them, he says, here's the final word that I want to give to you in this letter. In light of everything else I've said, here's what this means for you. It's this. It's right there in verse 1. We already read it. He says, stand firm thus in the Lord. If we're to give a, a big idea just on this, this passage, it's really simple. I'll translate that phrase, stand firm thus in the Lord. Here's what I would say. Stay true to Jesus. Stay true to Jesus. The Lord there is, is Jesus. So you can stay, and then the idea of stand firm... I'm translating that for us into this idea of stay true. Here's why. Stand firm. They, they were facing persecution. Their lives were on the line. There was kind of a, a battle. But for us in the West right now, we, we face persecution, but no one's like got a, a, a gun to your head kind of thing. I think what we face in our day and age presently is actually more of a seduction Amen. Than, than like an in-your-face 
And it's, it actually happens more of a, hey, let me pull your desires away from Jesus slowly over time. And that depth that you once had, that fire that you once had, slowly gets extinguished. And so the call is to stay true to Jesus. That Jesus, as we've read in chapter 1, for whom dying is gain. That Jesus, chapter 2, who did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, and so God has exalted him, that Jesus. That Jesus, chapter 3, who uh, is such a treasure that he makes everything else look like trash. Saying that, that Jesus, here's what I want you to know, stay true to him. You have these moments in your life where you can see, like, with clarity. You're like, oh, yes, this is what it's all about. This is what my life is made for. This is who God is. And then you're like, okay, but what do I, what do, I do with that? How do I live in that? And that's what the rest of chapter 4, he, he gives some insights into how, what does it look like to stay true to Jesus. He just gives some parting words. But as he hits these different situations, and these are everyday, ordinary types of things, but as he hits these things... He's saying here, here's what it looks like to stay true to Jesus. It happens in the ordinary stuff of life. So let's kind of read through this passage, and we're going to see four ways of what it looks like to, to stay true to Jesus. You guys ready? Let's, let's continue on. So the first thing is this. He says that you stay true to Jesus when you pursue peace with one another. Let's look at verses 2 and 3. He says, I entreat Judea and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. As he's closing out these letter, this letter, there's some sort of beef that has erupted between these two women, some sort of tension that's going on. And he's saying, hey, listen, I have, I have history with these women. I, they have a track record of faithfulness. He says, they have labored side by side in the gospel with me. And he's confident of their faith. He says, um, at the end, he says, their names are in the book of life. So even as he's, he's kind of commenting on the situation, he's saying, hey, man, these women are faithful. They've got a track record. They're proven. And yet, all of that, doesn't, like, make everything easy relationally. Like, so just because you have a track record of faithfulness, just because you're a Christian, it, it doesn't mean that all your relationships just, like, gel amazingly. In fact, it's often the opposite, right? Because what God does in a church is he brings together all different sorts of people, all different sorts of backgrounds, and it actually can be a little messy out the gate, and it's not relationally easy. And so something has come up, and, and we don't know what. We don't know what the problem is. But here's what's interesting. As Paul writes, he doesn't try to like, mediate their disagreement. You guys catch that as we're reading it? He doesn't say, well, no, Judea says this is what happened, but Syntyche says this. So let me like, get to the bottom of this and, and try and solve the dispute that's happening and tell you who's right. He doesn't even go there at all. And you and I can learn from this. He says to some degree, their disagreement is like, who's right, who's wrong is irrelevant. Because he calls them to a higher standard, and he says this. Entreat them to agree in the Lord. 
That's the higher standard. Agree in the Lord. What that means is he's saying, call them to remember their shared life in Jesus and then for that to shape everything else. And that's what it looks like to stand firm, to stay true to Jesus. The world is calling you to treat one another on the basis of of something else. And what God is calling you, what it means to stay true to Jesus is when you see someone, you first see them how Jesus sees them. And and if, if you're a fellow believer, then you agree in the Lord, and then from there, things can work themselves out in different ways. And so no doubt, right, in this church, presently, in this room, as I'm talking, I, I'm kind of new to you guys. I don't know, I'm not, but I, I do know, right? There are some of you that, that don't, like, click. And maybe it's, it's even worse than that. Maybe some of you have been offended by the other and hurt. Or perhaps with all the polarization that's at work in our world, we're, like, getting pushed, you know, to different ends, There are people in this room right now who are on the opposite end of the aisle on different issues, and you know they are wrong, (laughs) right? You know they are wrong. You're not confused, right? You know they are wrong. And and what Paul is saying, hey, um, uh, agree in the Lord. Agree in, in Jesus, that when it comes to that person, what you first need to see them is how Jesus sees them. In the midst of standing firm, and we might immediately go to all the different like pressures in our world, and you might immediately start thinking of all the different issues that you need to stand up for Jesus about. And, and that's sometimes where some of this disagreement even happens in a church. And he says, hey, actually, if you're going to stay true to Jesus, first and foremost, when you see another person, how do you see them? Do you see them as Jesus sees them? Do you see them as a brother or sister? Do you understand that? Is that the lens? Pursue peace with one another and remember your shared life in Jesus. That's what it looks like to stay true. The second thing is this, uh, verses four through seven. He says, you stay true to Jesus when you rejoice in the midst of trouble. Let's read verses four through seven. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness or your gentleness, that's what that word idea is, let your reasonableness, your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. Let's tell the truth, church, right? There are actually many reasons why you ought to be scared <laughs> and anxious in our world today. Uh, there are so many, there's so much information coming at us uh, at any given time. There are so many tragedies, so much injustice, so much unknown, and you can't control the outcomes. We live in an anxious age, but the call to the one who knows Jesus is very, very simple. Rejoice. Rejoice. And you hear that, and you say, okay. But like, what do I have to rejoice about? And Paul says, very simply, it's this. The Lord is at hand. 
And again, the idea of the Lord, that, that means Jesus. He's, it's a, he's accentuating his kingliness. But that when he says the Lord, that's what he means. So he says, Jesus is near. That's what you can rejoice about no matter what. Jesus is near. The Lord is at hand. I've heard some people say a Christian is, is never anxious. And to me, that's stupid. <laughs> Christians are totally anxious. And there are many reasons, like I already outlined, to be anxious. Do you know how little control you have of your life? Have you ever stopped and thought about, like, just at any given moment, like, well, that breath, I'm just doing all these things that happen, like, uh, I'm not controlling it, like, uh, there's things happening in the world, like, any given time, like, there's so many things. Anxieties, cares, these are realities in the world. It's what you do with your anxiety. It's what you do with your cares. And what you do with them is you, you make them known to God. That's what it says. It, it says, do not be anxious. So you could say, that's maybe where that idea comes from. But the idea is actually you take your anxiety and, and you work it before God. That's the idea. You bring it to him. And it says, covered in prayer, covered in thanksgiving. That idea there is you're remembering all that God has already done. And in faith for what God will do, the Lord is at hand. And what that means, again, Jesus is drawing near. His kingdom is, has come, it is coming, and it will one day come in full. And there will be a day when Jesus will wipe away every tear from every eye. And death and sorrow and pain will be no more. And in light of that deep well, there's a joy, a reasonableness, and a peace that comes over us. And it says here, at the end of verse 9, it says, um, I'm sorry, the verse, end of verse 7, that peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. It doesn't make sense. It's not, you, you didn't like rationally logical, oh no, it's not that bad. No, it's very bad. <laughs> right, whatever that thing you're anxious about, it's not that, oh, it's not that bad. No, it's terrifying. It's just that Jesus is drawing near. <laughs> and, that, and the God of peace, it says, guards you, guards you. Make no mistake, there is an attack on your life. There, again, there are real reasons to be anxious in the world. And yet the, the peace of God guards us against these fears. And you are able to stand firm and instead of fear, to be marked by joy because the Lord is at hand, Jesus is near. And so we rejoice in the midst of trouble. And so what this looks like really practically, I mean, just being honest with you, this week, I found myself overwhelmed. Like I, felt, I, I felt my heartbeat rising. I felt my mind just racing, trying to solve some different things, trying to wrap my head around. I, I had a friend, um, his mom, uh, like practically drowned in the ocean this week, and so she was rushed to the ICU. She's, she's recovering, but it was scary there for a moment. Another guy in our church in the hospital, a marriage that's dissolving, all, all these sorts of things, right, that are kind of coming up my way, and I'm all of a sudden, look, I know you do this, I do this. There are all sorts of things, and we just do this so, like, with naturally, without thinking about it, we, we keep them hidden, we suppress them, we hide them, and then there's something that happens, and it's like, it got out, and you're like, oh, snap, now I feel, now I feel crazy, and that's what I was feeling this week. Like, all, a couple of these things happened, and it was like it unloaded every other issue in my life. And I was feeling so overwhelmed, and I was like, well, 
I should practice what I'm preaching. <laughs> right? If I'm going to be preaching on this, it's like, I think the Bible says something about this. I'm not sure where. And, and so I just began to pray. It, here, if this is a, a model for you in some way. I, I prayed specifically for some things that God's done in my past. I, I was able to thank him and name. But even for all of us, you could, you could pray something like this. God, thank you for your faithfulness in the past. Thank you for all that you've already done. Thank you that because of Jesus, I don't have to wonder if you love me. I already know. And because of Jesus, because you took the greatest evil, the darkest day, where we crucified God, and you brought salvation through it, because of that, I know that nothing will hit me that you can't work for my good. Thank you. And then not just the past, but God, thank you for what you're going to work in the future. Thank you for what you've promised. You've promised, like I already said, to wipe away every tear from every eye. I believe that. Thank you. And then from that place, you are able to make your real requests known to God. I'm talking your real requests. Sometimes we think we have to choose between joy and honesty. You guys understand what I'm saying on that? Sometimes you have, like, either we have to like, pretend to be happy, like everything's going to be good, or we have to be honest and be terrified, and here's everything that's going on in my life. But the, actually, the, the, the Christian life doesn't ever have to choose between joy and honesty. It's, it's with tears streaming sometimes we're able to sing praise. And that, that tension is something unique to the gospel because it's saying, hey, you're able to bring your real life before him and know that God is able to bring things about for your good. So it's not fake, happy, plastic Christian requests. Those real, honest, gut-level fear, crying out, I'm scared, God, help me prayers to the God who loves you and works on your behalf. And so it's real prayers with joy, you don't have to choose. To, to stay true to Jesus means you bring your real self to him in trust and in faith. And so you're able to rejoice in the midst of trouble. Third thing, moving through this passage. It's kind of some different things. It's the real stuff of life. You stay true to Jesus when you practice what you know. This is verses 8 and 9. It says this, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And again, this idea of peace, the God of peace will be with you. Paul gives a, a virtue list in verse 8. True, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise. And he calls the, the Philippian church to, to think on these things. And the idea of think isn't just to like, I don't know, philosophize or something. But it's to meditate on, to really chew, to center, to build, to reason, to, to kind of like put your life around these character qualities. And these are character qualities that are found in our God. And he's saying, all these things that you have heard from me, verse 9, these learn, that you've learned from me, it's not just for head knowledge. We don't talk about joy and beauty and truth like just for you to fill up notes in your Bibles. He's saying, practice these things, verse 9. 
practice these things. Staying true to Jesus, working these things out, this is an intentional work, church. When we preach the gospel of grace, of how God has come to rescue us, where we didn't bring anything to the table, but following him and walking with him requires effort. God changes your will so that in your willpower with him, you, you follow him. Practice these things. So this letter that I'm writing is not just to change your mindset, but to actually to bring about new habits in your life, in the ordinary day-to-day stuff of life. Listen, there's this idea that you and I are tempted to believe that you will stand for justice and truth and beauty in the day of adversity, that when that moment comes, that you'll sort of just rise to the occasion. But that's a lie. <laughs> it's not true. It's like the person who says, I'll be able to keep my budget when I get a raise. <laughs> it's like, bro, we both know that's not going to happen. Like, like, if you can't do it now, I'll be generous when I win the lotto. It's like, stop it. <laughs> you, you, you always end up falling the way that you lean. If it's not now, then it's never. This came home to me really in my life. Um, when I was dating my wife, we've been married now 14 years, and when we were dating, we, we were both following Jesus, and we were struggling to, to honor what Jesus had said in regards to like sexual purity. And we were wanting to do that, but then there was just this struggle with boundaries and what that looked like. And then we got engaged, and I remember thinking, this is my honest thought, because I was 20 years old, and I was thinking, I was like, you know, like, what even is this? Right? I was like, we're going to get married. We're like, we're heading that direction. Like, and there's these things that God's kind of called us to, but then like magic that like, I can't touch her here, but then like on the day, like all of a sudden that's cool. Like that seems weird. And I was kind of like doing this thing in my, in my head. I remember processing this out with uh, an older, wiser person. <laughs> and, and they said something to me that, that has honestly helped me in that moment, but it has changed the way I view life entirely. And it's something along this idea in this verse where they said, hey, listen, yeah, we got married November 8th. And, and they said, yeah, you know what? Like, November 7, you know, these things, these places are, are off limits. Then November 8th, they're not. And so that, that's going to change. And this, this mentor of mine, they said, you, you know what's not going to change from November 7th to November 8th? Your heart. That, that your heart, you have the same exact heart. And so... That a heart that's unwilling to endure, that's unwilling to take this tough stuff of life and honor Jesus with it, that doesn't care about purity and, and love and beauty and these sorts of things, and just kind of like wants what they want. Like, all, what's going to happen on your wedding day is actually that stuff's going to get hidden and pushed away. And then when the moment of adversity comes, when you're, you know, a decade into your marriage and you got kids and life's crazy and it's stressful, and then there's, like, and, and then that desire to just have what you want in the moment, like, what are you training and practicing your heart into? What are you training yourself for? I just got scared. <laughs> I was like, man, that, that's, that's that reality, right? And that's, that's the idea of what Paul is getting at here. He's listing off these things that we know to be true about God. You've, you've seen these, you, you've, you've heard these in, in me. And he's saying, I want you to think about these, these things and, and practice them. Bring them into your life. As a parent, I see, you know, we got parents here. It's like you start talking to your kids and discipling your kids before they know what discipleship is. 
they don't know who Jesus is, but you still, you're shaping, you're talking, you're like, you can't put that off for later. Oh, one day it'll be easy to pray with my kids. It'll never be easy. And so you, you walk with that, you practice that, you bring that into your life now. He's saying you know what's true, you've heard it, you've seen it, and church, you have it today in your leaders. You have leaders who have modeled and walked out integrity and grace. And he's saying, don't wait for the moment of adversity. Press in here now. Look at your life, even, even really practically. Think about your day in chunks. Think about your morning, your morning routine. Think about your work day and who you work with, how you use your lunch break. When you come home, your attitude, your heart, like those sorts of places. Get really practical and take that list and say, okay, what does it look like to, to practice truth and beauty and excellence as I'm getting ready in the morning? Where, where can I find things worthy of praise? And to, to bring your eyes out, what, what Paul is saying in this stay true to Jesus idea is he's taking, it, this happens in the ordinary stuff of life. It's not just in this grand moment where you're like, I'm living for you, Jesus. It's like, no, 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 in every moment, in every place, intentionally live into these things. Okay, lastly, Stay true to Jesus. You stay true when you give generously because you seek heavenly rewards. Uh, Paul finishes off his letter with joy. Look at verse 10. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. That concern is actually a financial concern. He says, you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. And what he's saying is this... Philippine church has had his back from day one. In fact, in chapter one, he says, no one else entered into partnership except you. Like, you, you've partnered with me financially. They've looked to meet his needs, and now years later, they're still partnering with him. And Paul makes it clear that he doesn't, like, need their money, verse 11. He says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He's had times of abundance. He's had times of need. And in living through those, he knows he can do all things. Which stop, sidebar, just really quick. When Paul says he can do all things... We, you, most of you might know this, but just in case, he is not saying he can bench press, you know, uh, however much he can bench press. We're talking about, I can get this job. or No, he's actually specifically talking. He's saying, I, I have the ability to endure different types of economic situations. He's like, I've had times where I've been rich. He said, like, I've had times where I've been poor. I've had nothing to my name. And he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And he says, whatever, basically what he's saying is, whatever I got, I'm good because I have Jesus. And so I always like to kind of like teach this phrase. What he's saying there is, when he says, I can do all things, is he's saying, I can endure all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's not, I'm going to go win the game. He's saying, I can actually lose. I'm good because I got Christ. Okay, that's, that's what he means there. But even still, he doesn't need it, but he feels their love. Verses four, verse 14. He says, yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. It was kind. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, that's where the Philippians are from, uh, no church entered into partnership. That's, again, financial with me in giving and receiving, except you only. You guys, are, you guys have my back when no one else did. 
Even in Thessalonica, you sent help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift. Again, I don't need it. But what I do want, here's what I seek. I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied. Having received from Epaphroditus, that's another guy who's helping them out. He uh, gave the gifts you sent. These are a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. He says, just because I can endure on a little doesn't mean it isn't like a blessing isn't a blessing, right? I still like it. Thank you. And so his final word to them is to say this. I don't need the gift, but what I am jealous for, what I want for you is that heavenly reward. That heavenly reward, that fruit that increases to your credit, that's what it means. And I want you to live in such a way that you live for the reward and not any sort of like temporary comfort or reward that wealth offers. To stay true to Jesus is when you live for his rewards, not not wealth or status or comfort here and now. You see life in light of him. Church, sacrifice and partnership mark the people of Jesus because this is what Jesus has done for you and me. He has united himself to us and sacrificed himself for our sake. And so when we live this way, generously, open-handed, seeking the, the rewards of heaven, not just the rewards of earth, we are true to him. We're faithful to him. We are standing firm in him because we share in his reward, his life, our relationship with him, we share in his eternal security. And the beautiful thing about this letter, there's so many like, bad things that happen in the church today and even in the churches of the Bible, like sin is at work in the church. It's crazy. There's a lot of reasons to be negative, but the Philippian church is actually a beautiful example for us. They live this out. In fact, this is not the only, like Paul writes this word of encouragement, but it's not the only place in the Bible that talks about this Philippian church where Paul writes about them and talks about their joy and their generosity, that they actually lived out what he's calling them to, that this life is available to you and me. Uh, If you have your Bible, um, in 2 Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians, Paul's writing to a different church and he tells them about this church in Philippi. They are their own illustration. He says this, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. He says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Uh, Macedonia is an area. It's like a, so it'd be like Cerritos is a city within L.A. County, right? Or within southeast L.A. So there's the Cerritos Church, Philippi, but then there's like, the area southeast LA, that would be Macedonia. So it's, they're a part of this, this geography. We want you to know about the, the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For a, listen to this, and, and like make an equation out of this, right? For a severe test of affliction, abundance of joy, and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. If I were doing the equation on that, I'd be like, okay, severe test of affliction, Joy, we know, we know in Jesus those things aren't opposite, but they're poor. So I'm thinking like some killer worship songs come out of that. You know what I mean? Like just songs about the faithfulness of God. Like, like that's the equation that I think would make for that. You got 
affliction. It's tough, but we're joyful in Christ, but we got nothing to offer, so let's sing, right? That's what I would think. Like, that's how that math works out for me. But instead, in the midst of affliction and poverty, it says there was working an abundance of joy that persevered through all those things, and it says it overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. They actually contributed to this need. There's a need in Jerusalem. Paul's taking up an offering, and they, they're like, boom, and they, they gave so much that it was an overflow. And like, Paul is like, his mind is blown. Look at verse 3. Or if you don't have it open, you can just listen. This is 2 Corinthians 8. He says, they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and even beyond their means, of their own accord, of their own free will, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this is not as we expected. But they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God, to us. It says they begged to pee, be a part of it. Paul was actually going like, to let them sit this one out. And they, they said, don't you dare leave us out. Don't you dare let our struggle and, and our lack, don't you dare let it limit our participation in what God is doing. Because our joy in Jesus compels us. And so Paul says, verse 5, we, we were surprised. He said, well, it makes sense, because I guess, because they gave themselves first to the Lord. And they saw everything in light. They were true to Jesus. And then in light of that, everything else flowed. See, all Paul, he, he's kind of confessing a little bit. He says, I just saw people, how they relate to one another. And you know, in, in life, some people are richer, some people are poor. And he's taking up this offering to help people. And he says, I'll, I'll hit up the rich people. Like, we're good. I'll, I'll, hit, I'll hit them up. But he says, what I learned from them is they were not dealing on that level. Their joy is not something man-made or manufactured, but instead they saw everything in relationship to Jesus. They stayed true to him. And who is this Jesus? Well, Paul has outlined that in Philippians. But they've known him. This is 2 Corinthians 8, 9. It says this, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. That's the gospel, church, the good news that we proclaim. That's the whole Christian faith in one sentence. And that verse says this, that God did not abandon you or forsake you. That God does not hate you. And God is not annoyed by you. No, instead, God says, though he was rich, for your sake he became poor. He became a man. He suffered and died. He went to the cross and died the humiliating death of a criminal. And what did this accomplish? What says, so that you, by his poverty, that is by his humiliation and death, that you might become rich. That on the cross, Jesus took the punishment for your sin, for your shame, for your wandering, so that you might be forgiven, that your, the death would not have the final word, and that you might share in his eternal life. Why? What says, it, it, in grace. So this is for your sake, he did this for your sake, but not because you earned it or convinced him of your beauty and your goodness, but actually because you couldn't save yourself so that you, listen to me, church, you right now, though you are sinful, condemned, though you are exhausted, filled with shame and fear, hiding, so that you right now you know you are forgiven, loved, you right now pardoned, 
even delighted in by God. This is what God has done. God did not withhold. God did not pitch in for the cause. He wasn't won over by your righteousness. Instead, in grace, in generosity, he gave himself, he gave his son, he became poor, emptied himself so that you might share in his life, and that's where this joy comes from. They knew they were loved by this God, and so they were eternally secure. They were firm already, and so now they're saying, I want to stay true to this Jesus. And, and, and whatever else is real in this life, this is the most real thing. It's who God is and what he's done, that he emptied himself and gave himself. This happened in history, and it split history in two. Because of Christ, everything else is shaped by this reality. And so I'm walking in that. I'm living in that. Yes, I'm poor. Yes, I'm persecuted. Those are some circumstances that you could say define my life. But what's more true, what I'm staying true to, is the joy and generosity I have because of God's joy and generosity that he's given to me. And so Generations Church, this is what God is calling you to. In staying true to him, he's offering you a joy in Jesus that is not just surface level, a joy that isn't just shaped by your emotions, but it's a joy that takes the clay of your life and molds it, that roots you in the midst of an anxious world and an anxious age. And you are able to live in light of who Jesus is and what he's done in peace and joy in the habits day to day of your life and the generosity with your bank account. It is a long road. It is a long road in this life. And that's true whether you live to be 100 or even just like each week is its own long road. But when you, but you stay true is when you take the stuff of life, like just the ordinary stuff of life, your relationships, your troubles, your habits, your, your money, you take these things and you orient them in light of Jesus and you'll stay true to him. And the joy and the victory and the power that he has, it shapes you. It will flow through you. His peace, his joy impacts not just your personal stories, but like a river will flow out into Cerritos and into the ends of the earth. And so as the band comes up and I pray, I just want to encourage you in all that you've heard from all these different letters. So we're kind of bringing this Philippians to the end. I want to encourage you to weigh your life and to put it before Jesus and to resolve right now to stay true to him. And maybe some of you guys need, just even need to do that, like really practically just say, Jesus, here is my heart. Here is my life. Fresh, anew, I offer myself to you. I want to live in light of who you are. So would you pray with me? Father, there are a million things at work in our world right now, pulling us in all sorts of different directions. And God, I just want to pause even for a second and give space for each of us to kind of sift through some of our own anxieties, our sins and fears. There are so many things, God, demanding for our attention, things from our past that call out to us and, and are emblazoned in our minds. We want to be true to you. We want to stay faithful. We want to stand firm. Jesus, you have died and you have risen. You have united yourself to humanity. You are the victor. You have done this in grace. 
There is no other treasure in this earth you are worth living for. You are worth dying for. Everything is trash compared to you. And so God, we, would you be at work by the power of your spirit in this church, in the ordinary stuff of life, healing relationships, putting new habits into practice, unleashing generosity, bringing peace and joy that is found in Jesus alone. God, would you do that in this church? Would you do that in churches all over? And would your peace and your joy and your victory be seen and known from Southeast LA to the ends of the earth? We pray this in Jesus' name.